0: The scripture passage for us today on this fourth Sunday of Advent, where we have lit the love candle, is actually considered the second birth narrative, and it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, But had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, you came quietly into our world in the darkness of a stable. In the quiet of this time together, speak your word to us, the word just read. And the word to come, the word we most need to hear. And in the middle of all the busy noise of the season, surprise us again with the nearness of your love. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. While You Are Sleeping is one of my favorite movies to watch each year while I'm wrapping Christmas gifts. The 1995 movie goes something like this: a toll booth attendant named Lucy, played by Sandra Bullock, fantasizes about marrying Peter, a young man she has never even met, but who regularly rides the L in Chicago. One day, Peter is randomly attacked and thrown onto the tracks. Lucy saves his life, but he's in a coma. At the hospital, she is mistaken for his fiance. And she proceeds to fall in love with his quirky family and eventually with his brother, Jack, all while Peter was sleeping. A lot can happen while you are sleeping. I'm curious, do you ever have trouble sleeping? (laughs) Hmm. Drew Ackerman is the host of the podcast called Sleep With Me, and his goal is to tell stories that help people fall asleep. He refers to his show as the podcast the sheep listen to when they get tired of counting themselves. According to Ackerman, the key to the perfect bedtime story is to make it slow and boring, which is the opposite of a sermon, just to be clear. Ackerman slows his pace, and he speaks in a very low voice. His talent is to ensure his stories don't stir up too many strong emotions. Well, he must be doing something right, because last year, his stories were downloaded 1.3 million times each month. It turns out we are a nation that struggles with sleep over 70 million of us. We can't fall asleep, or we fall asleep and we can't stay asleep. We toss and we turn and we work ourselves up in knots because we know that if we don't get enough sleep, our health is going to be compromised. Without adequate sleep, we're more prone to diseases, and our brains can't function properly, which can impair our abilities to concentrate, think clearly, and process memories. And it gets worse we might miss the important message from the angel who is planning to visit us in our dreams. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph. In the entire biblical narrative, he never says a word. That's a man I could like. Just kidding. (laughs) I met my husband, not that husband, not the church husband. Where was I? (laughs) (laughs) Here's what we do know about Joseph. He was the husband of Mary, the stepdad of Jesus, and a descendant of King David, who was the greatest king of all Israel. And it seems like Joseph was a man who got enough sleep. Joseph was visited by an angel on three separate occasions, all through dreams. The first time we just heard the angel told him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that she's carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's gonna have a son and you need to name him Jesus. The second time an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream was right after Jesus had been born and the wise men had visited. The angel said to him, get up, Hurry, hurry, take the child and his mom with you and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because crazy King Herod wants to kill your son." Now Joseph was open to the Spirit, and he followed both of those commands. In his last dream, the angel told him it was safe to return to Nazareth. I find it interesting that these divine messages came while he was sleeping. With the frantic pace of life, especially during this season leading up to Christmas, with parties and gift exchanges and concerts and shows and church programs, sometimes I wonder if God's only chance at catching up with us is while we are sleeping. But dreams seem to be a risky way to send an important message. Dreams can be vivid and realistic to be sure, But if you're like me, they often evaporate as soon as you wake up. The dreams I remember best tend to be the stress dreams that I have, like realizing I have an exam, but of course I haven't studied for it, and now I can't even find the classroom. Or the one where you're driving too fast on a mountain road, and you sail off of the cliff in your car, Thelma and Louise style, and I know we're going to hit bottom so far. I've awakened before we hit. Now I have not ever been visited by an angel, but my favorite dreams are what they call lucid dreams, the ones where you're awake enough to be able to alter what is happening in the dream. So as I'm catapulting off the cliff and I'm so afraid, I tell myself, Lori, you know this is just a dream, right? So. Do you want to fly? Indeed I do. And off I go into my dream. So let's say that you are visited by an angel in a dream and you actually remember the encounter. How would you know if it was a message from God? Discernment can sometimes seem more like art than science. We want the right answer, but it's partially hidden, feeling nuanced and often messy. I know discernment requires wisdom, knowing who God is, and the humility to ask God and spiritual friends for their input. I usually think, if it is good, if it is life-giving and loving, it is of God. But in Joseph's case, it's more complicated. In his dream from today's scripture reading, the angel gives Joseph one of the most important messages of our faith tradition. By accepting and marrying Mary, by claiming and naming Jesus, the prophecy will be fulfilled. God will be born in the flesh. Emmanuel, God, really, really with us. And that is very good. But this message came at a cost to Joseph. He had to be willing to sacrifice some of his pride regarding how others would perceive him. If he stayed with Mary, you see, they were engaged, But in the first-century world, this is not a romantic declaration of intent. This is the first step of the marriage already in effect. The custom secured a young girl while allowing her to reach physical maturity, while also allowing the groom to secure a stable living. The maiden would remain living with her parents, and the two would not yet enjoy the blessings of marital life. But she is now under the authority of her husband. Vows have been taken, dowries have been paid, and any obligation that the marriage contract required has already been met. From a legal standpoint, Mary and Joseph are already married and yet have not lived together nor been intimate. It is at this point that Mary was discovered to be with child. In Joseph's day, there were two choices when faced with the possibility of what clearly seems to be Mary's infidelity. He could publicly declare his injury, in which case Mary could have been stoned to death, or he could simply divorce her. Joseph decided, of course, he would divorce Mary quietly the following day, and then he went to sleep. The only thing said in the Gospel of Matthew about Joseph's character is that he was righteous. We don't use the word righteous too much today. In fact, it usually has a negative connotation as in someone being self-righteous, you know, up on their high horse, looking down on everyone else. But in Matthew's Gospel, to be righteous means to live by the law, God's revealed will. Well, the law of Moses is clear. It required capital punishment in cases like this. In Deuteronomy 22, we read, if there is a young woman, a virgin already engaged to be married, and a man meets her in the town and lies with her, you should bring both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she did not cry for help in the town, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Yikes. Well, Joseph is a good man. He didn't want to shame Mary, and he certainly didn't want her stoned. When we reflected on this passage in our Wednesday morning Lexio Divina, one person wondered, what if God chose Mary because Joseph was the right partner? It's a great question, because Joseph embodied a kindness and a tenderness that might have been unique in his patriarchal society. His righteousness included a sensitivity to the will of God and a sensitivity to other people. He sounds a bit like the son he adopted. He sounds a bit like Jay Wolf. Jay and Catherine were newlyweds with a six-month-old son, when at 26 years old, without warning or symptoms, Catherine nearly died from a massive brainstem stroke due to a rare brain malformation. About six months after her stroke, Catherine began truly waking up to the reality that her life would never again be the same. It was just before the holidays. She couldn't eat or swallow. She could barely walk, talk, or even hold her head up while sitting in her wheelchair. Despondent, she believed her husband and son would be better off if she wasn't there. Early on in her recovery, a social worker at the hospital recommended that Jay take a break from his near-constant schedule by her bedside. Jay said, Catherine doesn't get a vacation from this, so I'm not taking one either. I'll wait to get away until I can take her with me. Jay would be the first to tell you, he's not perfect and he's no hero. He's simply fulfilling the promises he made to his wife when they were married. And yet, this kind of love that sacrifices so another person can know they are not alone is the kind of love that was born in Bethlehem and was born in Joseph, and the kind of love that wants to be born in each one of us. Jay and Catherine were able to have a second child. They have written two books and started a faith-based nonprofit called Hope Heals to encourage anyone to struggle who struggles show, to show up in a life that they didn't sign up for. Now, 15 years after everything changed, Catherine still lives with major disabilities. She mostly uses a wheelchair or cane. She can't drive, her face is paralyzed, she has double vision, she's deaf in her right ear, she has no fine motor coordination in her right hand. She still has major issues swallowing. But she's living a flourishing second-chance life that she loves with her Joseph by her side. According to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the way he lived his life, righteousness is not only the determination to be personally impeccable, but often the determination, if necessary, at one's own expense to bear the guilt of others, to bear the weight of others, that Is a divine, inspired love, loving as God would, infinitely, graciously, extravagantly. It's like the wise and loving father that Catherine Nerney wrote about in her book called "The Compassion Connection." This dad sat down with each of his almost teenage sons and used the word "sanctuary." to assure them that they would always be welcomed by him, no matter what they had done. He spoke of the future mistakes and actions his sons might regret and their fear of the consequences. He went on to assure them, when that happens, please, please come to me and just say sanctuary, and I will know. You can sit there in the silence And I will keep you sheltered by a love that will never let you go, no matter what you did. We will get through it together. I want you to know this now, and to count on it when you feel despondent, like a failure, and you want to run away. I will be your sanctuary till you can carry on. And that's the righteous way, the Joseph way, right? That is love over law. That is the Christ child being born into our messy lives. And Christmas seems to be the time we most need this larger-than-life love. The Christmas season holds a magnifying glass to nostalgia, grief, worry, joy, exhaustion, loneliness, and yes, love All of the emotions are present, and sometimes the hard ones feel even stronger because we think it's all supposed to be candy canes and jingle bells, you know, the most wonderful time of the year. But from the very first Christmas, very real people experienced distress, betrayal, disappointment, fear, and hurt right alongside the wonder and joy of new life. And guess what? God was born in Mary and in Joseph, even in the midst of their stress and doubts. And here's the best part. Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus didn't come for a visit, He came to be born in you and in me for our entire lifetime and all the way through eternity. So, when did Joseph get filled with this divine love that is bigger than the law, that is bigger than his own wants and desires? Well, of course, it was while he was sleeping.